When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Hello and welcome to this episode which is titled Modernist Mushrooms. So we are here today with Shalini Sengupta and I'm going to ask Shalini to introduce herself. I am Shalini. I'm a final year PhD student at the University of Sussex and I work on the politics of difficulty in modernist literature and why the difficult tradition in modernist literature must be examined through the vectors of social difference which is gender, race and class. And you're also interested in mushrooms. Lately, my work has been interested in entanglement and the Anthropocene things that we will cover in this podcast, hopefully. Brilliant. What the heck are modernist mushrooms? This title that you're partly responsible for, by the way. I am. I I have It was basically a thought experiment. I wanted to trace a mycological aesthetics through modernist literature that would speak to the current critical turn that we are experiencing in the humanities right now, which has been called the mycological turn. So I guess that's where the title is coming from. What is the mycological turn? It's a loosely defined disciplinary term that um, Sam Solomon and Natalia Cesare are working on right now in the University of Sussex. And this is not a plug. You know, I don't think they look at modernist literature per se, not modernism in the proper anyway. But I think what their work sort of focuses on is how mushrooms and not just mushrooms, I think mycological life in general have acquired a certain prominence a certain epistemological cachet, I guess, in humanities and critical theory right now. So in many ways, I think this reminds me of a phrase that the anthropologist Anna Singh used in her book, The Mushroom at the End of the World. She used this really interesting phrase called mushroom fever. And I don't know if she was consciously riffing on Jacques Derrida's term archive fever, but the term mushroom fever in itself, it does capture the allure of the fungi, you know, in literary studies right now. And I guess fever in this sense is the desire to get closer to understanding mycological life in full and with clarity, even though this desire is completely at odds with the biology of the mushroom itself, which, as Singh says, you know, it resists understanding. So I guess this tussle, this way of thinking, of desiring to know something that resists interpretation, I think this is fundamentally about hermeneutics itself, which in so many ways, I think it critically underpins the mythological turn. So I guess in thinking about the mycological turn, we're thinking about questions of meaning, questions of indeterminacy that that my work is interested in. But I think more importantly, the modernists had made it their MO since the early 20th century. So that's why I kind of wanted to bring mushrooms and modernism together. What are some of the authors and some of the writer uh, texts that we are looking at? 
Once you start looking, you'll basically find that some of the earliest examples of botanism included mushrooms as a way of thinking about experimentation itself. So um, Alfred Kremberg, for instance, he had this book called Mushrooms, a book of free forms, that is one of the earliest examples in modernist literature that included mushrooms to think about the free verse and to think about questions of indeterminacy. And, you know, it's not just modernist literature, it's also photography, for instance. So there's Alfred Stieglitz, who also lived in Greenwich Village, by the way. But uh, so if you go to Stieglitz Gallery, he um, included mushrooms to think about modernism and photography as well. So there is this photo called Mushrooms by the Sea, which is still there in the Philadelphia Museum of Art, I think, that is basically, you know, a photo of mushrooms. And it's like one of those early 20th century examples that used mushrooms to um, think about questions of experimentation. And since then, there's been a lot of poets. There's been Sylvia Plath. She has a, you know, she has a poem called Mushrooms. And I think one of my favorite examples of this is the writer Jonah Barnes, queer modernist writer, also living in Greenwich Village. I don't know if there's a connection there, but she had this book called Nightwood. So in which there is this character called Robin, who was heavily described through mycological metaphors. Robin, you know, she had this odor that had the quality of earth flesh fungi, and I'm quoting from Barnes herself, but so she literally had flesh that had the texture of plant life. And so Robin is this really intriguing character who is outside the human type in a way, like she's always becoming, she's becoming animal, she's becoming plant, she's becoming fungi. And her character is kind of always described through flux, through becomings, through change, speed, all, all of these things. So I guess like mushrooms help Barnes to decenter the human, or at least I guess like question the autonomy of the human or the boundedness of the human form, which in many ways, you know, uh, the modernists weren't really questioning at that time. So that's where, you know, the mythological aesthetics come in. Yeah, I mean, Barnes's Nightwood is like, I, I, I've taught the text several times and I've it's it's really an underread book that everyone It is, right? It is. It is. And you know, I mean, the way she was challenging like the boundedness of the human form and she was constructing this blurred ground between the human and the non-human through mushrooms also in a way. So I guess like that was quite radical for that time. And so that's what I like about like, you know, the use of mushrooms in that text. So I think you have already started answering this question a little bit, but how do we use modernist mushrooms? And I guess, you know, to rephrase the question a little, hmm. now that mushrooms have entered your work, how are you using them? I'll actually, I'll start with the Anna Singh book. One of the reasons I keep returning to that book on the mushrooms, despite its limitations, you know, and there are limitations, but one of the reasons I keep returning is I really like the way that Anna Singh kind of tracks these wild Matsutake mushrooms, if you remember, to the ruins of capitalism, the capitalist ruins, you know, as she calls it. So, which are basically these human disturbed forests that were transformed by capitalism, but no longer directly fuel the capitalist machine. So they no longer like provide timber or, you know, they no longer have any direct use within neoliberal capitalism. They're abandoned. But I think what's interesting is that for Singh, capitalism has an outside. It has borders, edges, ruins, and mushrooms grow in these ruins. 
Like they cannot be, the matsutake, for instance, you know, it cannot be cultivated. It's something that grows in these abandoned patches. To think with mushrooms for me is to think through this politics of the outside. It is to think through bodies and life forms that have somehow acquired an uncertain status with the neoliberal capitalism. It is to think with precarity. And, you know, that is a word that Singh uses a lot in her project as well. But it is to think with mushrooms, as I guess, it's to think with precarity. It's to think about precarious landscapes, precarious bodies, precarious life forms. So once you start integrating this politics of the outside within modernist literature, what we can do is we can nudge modernism out of its white male anthropocentric orbit, you know, by which I mean a human-centered orbit. Right. So, and several scholars have actually been pointing it out recently that, you know, modernism does engage with non-human life. Barnes does, Nightwood does, but it still needs a deeper ethical engagement with radical alterity, you know, with the other. And by the other, I don't just mean the racialized other or the socially marginalized other, but in this case, also the non-human other. Right. So yeah. I guess, you know, to think with mushrooms is to basically approach a version of modernism that is more accommodative of the radical other. It is to incorporate a politics of difference within modernism. That is, in many ways, I think it's it's so, you know, it, it's lacking in even in, you know, the newer versions of modernism, I guess. We discussed the limitations of things work and how the post-human, there is a kind of post-human triumphalism yeah. that in its excitement to go beyond the human, it it sort of leaves the human by the wayside and exactly, you know, exactly and so i'm really you know i'm really glad that you you talked about the emphasis on precarious bodies and like when we talk about precarious bodies even as we are talking about entanglement with the other we have to yeah. also sort of central our centralize our critique on general victimized dispossessed bodies yeah so my last question is how will modernist mushrooms save the world and you can interpret that question any way you want. Actually, I really love that question because I think when you ask me, how can mushrooms save the world? You're basically talking about a survival narrative that does not have humans as the main agent. And I think that's a really, that's a really important place to start from. Like we are living through widespread climate change, a pandemic, a disappearing labor market, you know, widespread, you know, environmental catastrophes. So I guess, it, you know, questions of what it will take for us to survive as a species becomes particularly important right now. And Singh, you know, sort of bases her entire project on survival. She focuses on mushrooms, but she eventually lands on questions of survival. Not survival as a one against all kind of a thing, but like a survival that is more collaborative in nature. So I think for Singh, survival is something that always already requires others, if that makes sense. But I think this survival narrative, this kind of survival narrative that is achieved through entanglement with the other, with the non-human other, with the non-living other in a way as well, it becomes particularly important in the Anthropocene, right? And, you know, but I think there are there are limitations of this project as well, because I think, as you've pointed out, like, you know, this excitement to imagine collaboration, to imagine entanglement often leads us like, you know, into producing this really homogenous, annoying we, right, that, that kind of like erases all differences. And I think it erases the acknowledgement of the fact that not all of us are going to be are going to be affected equally by the Anthropocene and its and its related disasters. If you had to recommend let's say three books about modernist mushrooms oh my to read God. 
I'm guessing one would be Juna Barnes's nightbook. What yeah, one would be Juna Barnes's nightbook. Uh, I don't know if modernist mushrooms is a thing. Like, I mean, I know we're trying to make it a thing in our. Podcast. Well, we can make it a thing. We can make, we can make it, it a thing. thing. But like, I don't know if it's a thing yet. But I, what I would like, you know, I mean, I know that people are working on the mythological turn. But the thing is, I mean, there is this deeper relationship between modernism and mushrooms. Like, you know, mushrooms by itself, and Singh sort of points out, you know, indeterminacy is in the very structure of a mushroom, the way it grows, the way it entangles, like, you know, below the surface of the ground. So I feel like modernism should, or maybe mythological aesthetics, should engage more closely with mushrooms. And to that effect, I would probably recommend Barnes. I would recommend Plath. She had this amazing poem called Mushrooms. So yeah, maybe maybe those two would be my recommendations. Thank you so much, Shalini, for coming to this episode and talking to us. This was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.